If you're a software engineer, you've been there. You're finally relaxing after a long day and you get paged. Something's broken. Are the servers down? Is the database slow? Is there a bug in the latest deployment? Now the whole team is panicked, going from tool to tool and person to person to troubleshoot the problem. That won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic brings together 16 monitoring tools so teams can see across the entire stack from one place. More importantly, with New Relic, you can pinpoint problems down to the line of code to fix problems more quickly. That's why more than 14,000 companies, including DoorDash, GitHub, and Epic Games, use New Relic to debug and improve their software. The next late night call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. You can get the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. Just visit newrelic.com slash cloudcast. That's newrelic.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Back for another Sunday Perspective show here in uh, early May 2022. It's good to be back. Um, you know, as Aaron and I talked about the last uh, few weeks, uh, we're going to, you know, take a break from doing Sunday Perspectives every week. We're going to try and do them every other week, uh, partially, uh, you know, do some travel coming up, but also because uh, we have a whole bunch of really good shows that have been queued up and we had a chance to record a little earlier. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, just based on some of the, the feedback we've seen on, on the last few weeks' shows, um, I think the you know the perspective is that uh, they are they're they're pretty good topics. So, um, but excited to to dig in today's Sunday perspective show. I'm going to try and do something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to try you know like on Sunday perspective show we've covered a lot of different things. Uh, we've done a lot of different formats, but one of the formats that we've done. <clears throat> has been, uh, you know, sort of like look back and look at certain technologies and, and how they evolved. And so we had looked at Docker and Cloud Foundry and, and Kubernetes and some other stuff. Um, and so one of the things I thought we would try and do today is start a new sort of format. We'll see how this comes across. Um, but we're going to take a topic that sometimes is is perceived to be, uh, you know, complicated or, you know, a, a sort of a deep technical topic and try and uh, use some analogies and, and and look at a way to explain it such that, you know, people that, that might have to, you know, start digging into this now, uh, this is new to them, um, maybe gives them a starting point. And I thought what I would do is use service mesh as sort of the first one, uh, partially because it's something that I have to do in my day job. Uh, I try not to mix up too much between the day job and the podcast. But um, but the second reason I picked uh, Service Mesh was a couple of things. One, um, KubeCon's coming up. KubeCon EU is coming up here in a couple of weeks. And uh, Service Mesh will obviously be a big topic there. Um, Istio just recently got uh, donated or will be donated formally to the CNCF. And so, um, you know, that'll bring a couple of different service meshes into the CNCF. So I think it's going to, there'll be a lot of discussion between uh, Linkerd and uh, and Istio and maybe some others that are out there. But also, you know, looking at some of the numbers that have come out of the CNCF recently, uh, Kubernetes is, uh, you know, continuing to see a lot, a lot of uptake. Um, and I think what we we tend to see in the service mesh world is, um, you know, once companies start using Kubernetes, once they start uh, spinning up more microservices, start having multiple clusters, which is maybe a couple of years into their you know, usually into their journey, uh, they start looking at, you know, how do I secure those microservices? How do I secure the communication? How do I better manage uh, the, uh, 
microservice to microservice communication? How do I manage cluster to cluster communication? And that's really where service mesh comes into play. So what I'm going to try and do is uh, is try and explain service mesh, uh, do it in a little bit different way than you probably heard before, um, try and use an analogy that I think a lot of us can relate to, uh, and try and bring it back to, you know, how does service mesh sort of fit into uh, an evolving uh, sort of monolith to microservices type of architecture and, and set of applications. And we'll do that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Ravello. Having a hard time hiring engineers? Ravello lets you sidestep the competitive U.S. talent market by helping you hire skilled remote engineers in Latin America. They provide full-time senior engineers with five-plus years of experience who are embedded in your team like a normal hire. Ravello is an end-to-end solution that handles sourcing, vetting, hiring, payroll, and compliance. They also don't force you to pay for things you don't want, like a project manager. You can interview any engineer before deciding. All engineers are proficient in English and have high time zone alignment with U.S.-based teams. You don't have that painful 24-hour turnaround where you have a question for an engineer who is on the other side of the world. Check out Ravello today. Go to ravello.com slash cloudcast. Check it out. That's R-E-V-E-L-O dot com slash cloudcast. Still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? It's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. Instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and cube control command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Illuminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privilege by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check it out for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at www.strongdm.com slash get dash a dash demo. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to try this approach to sort of, you know, looking at how do we explain a technical topic um, in a way that's not uh, really complicated. Uh, obviously, a podcast is a an audio medium. It's not a visual medium. We will try and include some uh, some some pictures that I've drawn up. Uh, if I can embed them into the podcast, I will. If not, we'll put them out on Twitter and, and maybe put a link to them uh, in the show notes as well. But here's the way I want to try and explain this. I'm going to use an analogy. And hopefully... Uh, you know, the analogy makes sense to folks because I think in in most cases, uh, I don't want to assume for everybody, but in most cases, uh, people grew up in a family and, uh, you know, at least there was probably at least one of you. Uh, in many cases, you probably had siblings as well. Um, so I'm going to kind of explain service mesh in the context of a family, uh, not only a family that uh, grows from uh, two parents, but to a family that starts having multiple children. And, uh, you know, the children are going to be a couple of years apart, right? So let me kind of walk through this analogy. So let's start with, imagine uh, if we were drawing a picture, uh, you're going to draw yourself a box. And within that box, you're going to have two squares. One's going to be labeled uh, uh, D or, or F for, you know, dad or father and M for mother. 
Uh, again, those are just uh, placeholders for parent. And what we're going to do is we're going to sort of, you know, those two things are living within this one home, uh, within one thing. And the, the beginning of this analogy is, is think of this as this is, uh, you know, a, a monolithic application that really just has two parts to it, two important parts. Doesn't matter what they are, front end or back end, whatever. Um, and and everything they do, all their communication is done directly within this one contained unit being the house, okay? So you can think of that as a, a monolithic application that runs on one server or, you know, one environment. Now, quickly, uh, the, the family dynamics change, and over the next couple of years, uh, three children are born, okay? And those three children, uh, one, two, and three, uh, we're going to say they're a couple of years apart just because that'll play into the analogy as we work along. Um, we're going to call those one two, one, two, and three. And at the beginning, um, you know, not a whole lot has changed. They've, they've been added to the nucleus of this family. They've been added to the nucleus of this monolithic application. Uh, they've added some new capabilities and functionalities, but they're all basically, you know, residing as one monolith. All of the communication is still done uh, directly. It's still done only within this this one unit, this one house. Um, and you know, they basically everything is sort of dictated by the the two big parts of the application: the the parents um, and the you know the the children or the you know the kind of smaller elements really only do a couple of things. They you know they eat, they poop, they sleep, uh, they cry, and they play. Right, and this goes on for a number of years, and it's all fine. Everything's pretty pretty easy to manage. Uh, the two sort of parent, uh, you know, controls of of this this monolithic application can, can take care of everything. Everything's everything's okay. Now, as the children, as one, two, and three start to get older, uh, we start to introduce some aspects that change the the nature of the application the, and the nature of the interaction between sort of the two uh, parent aspects of the application or the household and the three kids. And a couple of those things include things like. Um, you know, maybe it's having to provide a level of of protection in the house, right? So as you think about it, as as children uh, move from you know sort of having to be held all the time or only being able to crawl, do they start to be able to <clears throat> you know kind of pick themselves up and, and hold themselves up like on a table or a couch, and they start to walk around. And so you have to start protecting the environment, right? You have to start putting some some protections in, in place because those one, two, and three aspects of the application aren't behaving exactly the way they did before. And we want to put some controls in place so that they don't hurt themselves, basically, right? And we're still doing this within the confine, uh, the concept of a, of a monolithic application. A couple other things we may need to do. We may need to uh, introduce some, some rate limiting. Such that, you know, if uh, one of the children is crying all the time, uh, we have a mechanism to to shut down that crying, whether it's with a pacifier or a bottle or some way to put them to sleep. We want to do some rate limiting such that, um, you know, they behave uh, accordingly. They don't take up all the resources. And then we may need to do some things in which uh, we have to build in some um, some sort of back off algorithms or retry algorithms. So think of this as, you know, uh, hey, I told you to put your toys away. You didn't listen. Hey, I told you to put your toys away. You didn't listen. Hey, I told you to put your toys away. So sometimes we have to build in some things into the communication paths between these elements in which we have to uh, repeat things uh, several times in order to make sure that the actual task gets done and that it's acknowledged and it gets done. And so as you see, you know, what happens over time with um, with these, uh, you know, sort of these uh, parental elements of an application of a monolith 
and the smaller elements that have been added to augment uh, the whole thing, you know, they still act as one. All their communication is still very much sort of direct. Um, they know everything about each other. They know where each other's where they are. They know how to where everybody's schedule is. But we begin to have to start to introduce these things because the behaviors of some of the aspects of the application are changing, and they need to be controlled. They need to have uh, you know back off and, and timeouts and retries and things like that. And then we make it into a situation where let's suppose uh, those children, those children applications have grown older. Maybe they're six, four, and two. And you start realizing, well, I can't say the exact same thing to the four-year-old as I can say to the six-year-old. Maybe it's something like, hey, you know, if you if you eat all your food, if you eat all your vegetables, you'll get ice cream as a dessert, as a reward. But I can't necessarily say that to the four-year-old because I know the four-year-old only loves ice cream and, you know, they won't eat their vegetables. And so maybe we need to set up some secure communication such that uh, what you say between the parents and the six-year-old is not seen or you know snooped on uh, by the four-year-old. So we set up some security between these these things, right? So again, we're evolving the application. Uh, the things have changed uh, within the the construct of how they communicate, but we're still fundamentally sort of looking at this as a <clears throat> you know as a big you know sort of one unit. One everything's kind of coordinated together. Now, as things again begin to begin to age, right? So maybe we the kids become eight and 10 or 10 and 12. And again, you know, the age doesn't matter, but we're just getting into a, a stage in which they're beginning to do some things in which they're, you know, starting to push the boundaries of that, that parental space of, of the home, right. Of the monolith. And maybe we're starting to get into situations in which, you know, the way we schedule these different uh, one, two, and threes is going to be different. Right, maybe the the twelve year old has sports, and the eight year old has you know practice at school for music, or uh, the ten year old wants to go play with their friends. Well, <clears throat> now we're getting into situations in which they're not all doing the same thing. We have to be able to uh, be aware of how many resources they use, and we also need to be able to sort of schedule them and, and coordinate them between you know all these things. And and this is sort of the natural way that monolithic applications kind of evolve. They evolve with the business, or in this case, they evolve with the, the family analogy. And you have to start thinking about, you know, can we continue to manage all the functionality that this thing does um, in the same way, right? Does it make sense to, to manage everything the same way? Do we want to manage the six-year-old the same way we manage the 12-year-old? Do we want to still have the same type of communication between all of them, right? What happens um, as those things start to change, right? And again, you know, the analogy here is, you know, your business is going to start to do some things differently. Maybe you're going to interact with your customers through mobile, or you're going to create a different way to uh, work with your partners, right? You're going to set up some digital way to interact with your partners, or you're going to have, uh, you know, a new set of services that are going to be available, right? <clears throat> and the analogy to this is, you know, we start getting into situations in which um, maybe the kids are starting to interact with things outside the house. Maybe they're going to interact with friends. Maybe you're starting to get in situations in which, um, you know, the older kids are always with their friends, in which case you can't just directly interact with them. You have to think about both of them as, um, you know, something new. And then maybe you start getting into situations in which, let's say, for example, around the house, you always played one set of music. Maybe it was country music or maybe it was classic music, whatever it was. Well, now you start getting into situations in which, you know, the different age kids want to listen to different music, right? The analogy being like, you know, 
you may have groups within your organization who say, hey, I have to build parts of those applications, but I want to write them in Java. I want to write them in Go. I want to write them in Python. I want to write them in Node, right? And these are the things that we start to get into. And so this is typically where you start seeing businesses and application teams say, hey, we can't keep managing the monolith the same way. We're going to have to start breaking it up. We're going to have to start breaking it up in ways that allow um, those things that these different groups, the kids in this analogy, want in a way that they can still come back into the fold. They can still be part of the bigger way that the parental system, you know, the family unit, if you will, you know, works. But they have to have some flexibility. And we can't necessarily use the same rules that we apply to a 15 or 16-year-old that we do to an 8-year-old, right? So we start getting into situations in which you go, okay, how do I do that? How do I break this thing apart, right? And then how do we get, how do we reapply, if you will, the things, those core constructs of how do they communicate with each other? How do they find each other? How do they know what's going on between each other? How do we secure the communication so that, you know, again, given the different things that are going on between between uh, the different elements, um, how do we do rate limiting? How do we, uh, you know, how do we do those back off and retry uh, logic? Where do we put that? And all those elements are really sort of what make up a service mesh, right? So as we start to break up the monolith and we take all those aspects of how that big unit communicated back when everything was sort of, I know where everybody is. I sort of know exactly how everybody works. I can generally, you know, keep them aligned and coordinated. Um, you know, I can find where they are and communicate to them directly where I need to without uh, other things happening. And I know what the response time is going to be, right? Like when I tell the kids, uh, you know, go upstairs, take your clothes off, get into bed. I know it's going to take a certain amount of time. Well, when they become teenagers, you don't know how long that's going to take. Well, the analogy to that is that's the equivalent of, well, we used to communicate with each other over the back plane of one server. And now we communicate over a network, which could have, you know, variable response times, and it could have failures and other things that you can't necessarily anticipate, but you've got to be able to, to work around. So we start getting into the situation of, well, that's, you know, that's when you start to look at, does a service mesh start to to add some value here? And this is really where it sort of comes into play. So let me start to expand this analogy a little bit. So imagine you now have, I don't know, uh, a 12 year old, a 14 year old and a 16 year old in the house. Well, if it's like a lot of families, um, you know, everybody in the family uh, went from, they just, you know, they did whatever they did within the house to everybody's got a device. Everybody's got some sort of mobile device and I, maybe a 10 year old's too young, but whatever. And so now the way that you're going to communicate and, you know, parents, you're going to be nodding your head with this, you know, a lot of times the way you're going to communicate with your kid, um, even if they're upstairs or out in the backyard or whatever, is instead of just yelling at them or walking over to them, you might send them a text message. You might call them, you might FaceTime them, you might whatever, snap them. And so what you've done is you've replaced the sort of direct communication now you've, what you've done is you've moved that communication, that way of finding where the kid is, right? Discovery of where that, that person is, that application is, the way of communicating with them, the way of uh, verifying how you're going to communicate with them. You've moved that to a sort of a proxy device or a third-party device or a, a control point device. And in most of the service mesh architectures, um, you know, they introduce uh, sort of a proxy uh, to go along with um, every aspect, every microservice, and the different the different pro, uh, service meshes do it slightly differently. But what they do is, in essence, 
they put a control point with the application. And that control point, um, you know, does a number of smart things. It knows about the microservice. It's able to go out and discover other microservices. It's able to secure communication between any microservices. It's able to be the place where you implement logic that says, hey, if I need a rate limit between A and B, that's how I would do it. If I need to build some retry logic or failover logic, that's where I would do it. Because again, um, you know, you never know at any given point what new applications are going to come into play. And so what you do <clears throat> is you build in that logic into the mesh so that you don't have to constantly be doing it for every application. You don't have to think about, oh, okay, you know, is this kid into goth? Is this kid into heavy metal? Is this kid into, you know, country music? Is this kid into just banging a tambourine? You build all that sort of logic into the service mesh, and then you can allow the freedom of what each one of those kids or those you know, microservices of this analogy to be able to go do on their own, right? They, they have some freedom and flexibility. And so, you know, this is where, you know, you start to see the things that happen uh, within service mesh um, with that sort of proxied control point. And, you know, in the analogy we use, you know, the, the cell phone or the, you know, the iPad or something, the way that you communicate with the, with the child, but you're doing it sort of through a third party, a set, you know, a secondary tertiary um, type of device or, or control point um, that, again, helps in figuring out where they are, in having secure communication, in being able to, you know, coordinate how you do things. And then the last piece of this that really comes into play is you start thinking about scenarios in which, you know, as the kids get older, um, maybe you're communicating with them. Maybe you're communicating with their friend who is sort of an intermediary for them. They're they're part of a, you know, kind of a little group of them. Maybe you have to coordinate all of them now. Who's coming over for dinner? Who's sleeping over? All right, I, I can't just coordinate with one microservice. I got to now coordinate with three or four of them, but I have to think about them as a little group. But, but you know, what they do is all this one sort of service. And so another thing that Service Mesh begin to do nowadays, especially in a lot of the architectures, is they will begin to embed sort of a, an external routing mechanism or a, a, an API gateway, if you will, for getting to external services. Because maybe what you're doing is you're communicating with uh, other parents, with their friends, with a school, with a, a team, a coach, a club, you know, their job, right? Any of those sort of things. But those are external to your household, um, but they're part of making the overall set of capabilities sort of work together. And so, you know, if we think about kind of the, the path that we went down with this analogy, you know, the family started, they're in one house, it's just the parents, all the communication is done face-to-face. -face. We start to add some kids, um, all the communication is still done face-to-face. -face. We basically know exactly how the kids operate. They basically all operate the same. As the kids start to evolve, just like as aspects of applications evolve, we have to start building some things in to deal with their different ways of, of coordinating, of how they act, how we handle their behavior, their good behavior and their bad behavior. We have to make sure we can handle things like security and uh, noisy neighbors and rate limiting when they get too loud, or we have to you know break up fights between them, if you will. Um, we have to meet, start coordinating schedules, you know, who's going to use resources. And then as we start to think about microservices, right, start because things got out of control, we just can't keep managing uh, those kids the same way that we did when they were two and four and three. They're now teenagers. We're going to start to give them a certain amount of autonomy, and we're going to still, you know, build into the system, into the service mesh, if you will, that same logic that we used to have when everything was just face to face, you directly talking to the kids, you controlling their music, you yelling at them, whatever it would had to be. 
and you're putting some mechanisms in place such that they're going to have a certain amount of freedom to, to do what they want. Um, they can start to work on their own schedule, but the way that they're still going to interact with the broader family, with their friends, with their communities, all those things, uh, you know, have these control points. And, and again, you know, we use the, the cell phone proxy as the, the sort of the, the analogy within that. So hopefully this was sort of a, you know, useful way for you to think about, um, you know, how a monolith sort of becomes a micro set of microservices and where service mesh really starts to come into play, um, taking those things that you used to do as a monolith, um, all as sort of inter-process communication, start to extend those as services that are available on the network that are taken care of by the service mesh. They manage policies, they manage communication, they manage observability, um, and how you know you can draw a sort of analogy to you know how a family evolves um, from early age to uh, older age, and, and the kids start to do things that they want to do, and the parents are still trying to provide a little bit of control and sanity. So hopefully that was interesting to you. Uh, we'll try and do this more often if we can find some interesting topics. Um, I'll include some of my pictures. I'll find a way to get those out on the network or in Twitter or somewhere else. With that, I'm going to wrap it up. Sorry. For, but anyways, thank you everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the community. And uh, it's good to be back for Sunday Perspective Show and uh, I'll be back for another one in a couple of weeks and we'll be back to talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos and everything social media. Thank you.